Well, good morning. Uh, it's good to be with you guys uh, today. Uh, we are in the last week of a series that we're doing on the I Am Statements of Jesus. Uh, we're going to be in John 15 today. I don't know if, uh, if you're going to look at the uh, verses. You can call out the page number if you need to. But that's where we're going to reside. Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for your presence among us. Thank you for the good things that you're doing. Uh, both the things that we can perceive above the surface and the things uh, that aren't within our view. Thank you for your faithfulness to our community, to us as your people. Pray for our time as well. Um, look at your word together and um, your statement that you are the vine, that you would uh, unleash your life-giving force, presence, <clears throat> dwelling into us in new and fresh ways today. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so we are investigating the I Am Statements of Jesus. This is the last week that we're doing so together. Next week we'll be um, going into uh, what we've tended to call our vision series, our identity statements. Uh, we're going to talk about our identities as, uh, as the family of God, as disciples of Jesus, as missionaries uh, empowered by the Holy Spirit next week and the ways that those things have uh, remained the same because our identities don't change. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Um, but, but we're going to tease out and maybe talk about some new uh, realities, some new uh, ways that we um, need to understand and live out those identities in light of all that we've been through uh, these past 18 months. So I'm excited to do that with you guys. Um, as for today, I mentioned that we are going to be looking at Jesus' statement, I am the vine. And so let's look at that statement together. Uh, it comes from John 15. As I said, verse 1, we're going to read through verse 12. I'm also going to tack on the last part of chapter 14 so that we can get a bit of the context of what's just happened. Jesus said, Come now, let us leave this place. I am the, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. 
Friends, we proclaim this good news today. That even in these stormy days, these stormy days of isolation, anxiety, grief, and all the rest, when we feel like we are at our most vulnerable, we have not been abandoned. Jesus is the vine of God's presence who has joined us together into the life that He shares with His Father, a bond of love that holds everything together and cannot be rooted no matter what storm may come. Church, let's tend to this reality by rejecting the temptation towards self-preservation and instead love one another as we've been loved. Um, August 29th, 2005. Uh, it was a big day. James is nodding his head because he knows. He's from the area I'm about to speak about. Um, Hurricane Katrina slammed into the coastline in and around New Orleans. With sustained winds of 125 miles per hour causing incredible destruction. Maybe you've heard of this. It was in the news. Maybe not. Uh, it, was a, it was a monster storm. And because it had such high winds, you'd think that uh, the live oak trees that are on St. Charles Avenue would have been destroyed by this storm, because everything else was. Uh, these trees are over 100 years old. Uh, as I said, they're on this historic avenue in New Orleans, and they took an incredible beating, but ultimately, out of 700 trees, only four of them died during Hurricane Katrina. So, of course, the question's asked, like, how in the world do these trees survive and, and endure this incredible onslaught of a storm? And the, the answer um, is their root system. That's the answer. Um, because apparently when you plant an oak tree, uh, that oak tree goes into a mode where it develops a system to, uh, to be able to live its life. There's a reason it's over 100 years old. It does some things that, that make it so. Um, the first is that it has a tap root that goes down incredibly deep, and it goes down until it finds a consistent source of water. But then once it has done that work of finding uh, that water source through its tap root, it spends the entire rest of its life sending out horizontal roots that are just below the ground level. And if it's in proximity to another oak tree that's doing that same work, then it will intertwine its roots with those of its neighbor. Ultimately, these oak trees have created an underground network of roots that cannot be separated from one another. They're all connected to each other. And this is important because when, it's, when these oak trees are, are slammed by a hurricane such as Katrina, it wasn't just slamming into an individual tree. It was slamming into an interconnected community. These trees had a powerful, invisible connection with each other that was underground. It couldn't be seen. But because of this connection, they are incredibly difficult to uproot and kill. Four out of 700. Um, friends, I, I, th I think it's an understatement to say that we have endured one heck of a storm and are 
Um, in addition to a global pandemic, which we've all been through, in addition to the like societal unrest and shifting that's happening in our culture and our politics, um, many of us individually have experienced, alongside all those, you know, external reverberations, just internal upheaval, storms, losses, grief, mental health issues, depression, family and friends going through things that we don't know how to handle or endure. It's everywhere. And, and you add to the, the fact that many of the ways that we're accustomed with dealing with these uh, storms as a community have been difficult, if not impossible, to maintain. I was reminded of this, the fact that like this week with the COVID exposure, I had to stay home with a child who was quarantining all week and like couldn't see people, or at least, like, at least not in the ways that I was used to doing. I, I think this is a fitting metaphor then because it, it, it feels like, and, and hopefully you can relate to this experience, it feels like um, being a tree whose leaves have been ripped off in a storm. Does it seem like an okay metaphor to use? <laughs> I see a few heads nodding. And, 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 I, and then I, like I read passages like John 15, which are one of the foundational verses of our church together. Like, you don't, you don't call your church cultivate and never read John 15, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's baked into who we are as a, as a community. I mean, this is one of the very first passages that I ever preached on 10 years ago was John 15. And it's, it's a passage that has always given me hope and reassurance of God and, and um, encouraged me to like press into his presence. Just to be honest with you, I'm reading it this week and I'm going, how, how in the world do you bear fruit when you feel like every branch is barren? When you feel like every leaf is ripped off? Can you relate to this? There's good news, though. The good news is that even in this stormy time that we are enduring together when we feel like we are at our most vulnerable we've not been abandoned Jesus is the vine of God's presence who has joined us together into the life that he shares with the Father this is a bond of love that holds everything, even you, together and it cannot be uprooted no matter what storm may come Church, let's tend to this reality. Let's, let's attend to it. Let's focus our attention on it by rejecting this temptation that all of us feel for self-preservation. And instead, let's love one another as we've been loved. This is the good news that Jesus shares with his disciples in John 15. Um, I, I included the little bit at the end of... Um, chapter 14, so that you can pick up on some of the clues of, of, of what's happening. And what's happened is they, they've just left the table of the Last Supper, what we now know as the Last Supper, and they're heading, unbeknownst to them, but fully known to Jesus, to Gethsemane, where Jesus is going to be arrested, tried, beaten, and crucified. And he's told them that all these things are going to happen. And so the, these are 
some of his final words to a group of friends who are uh, in the midst of this swirling confusion and vulnerability. They don't know what end is up. Jesus said some crazy things. They're going to a place that's unfamiliar. They, they have no idea why they're going. They're going in the middle of the night. They've just left this room of safety and now they're out in the open trekking through Jerusalem where they know that Jesus has uh, a, a warrant essentially out for His arrest. At any moment, this whole thing could be over. I mean, can you imagine like walking through the city that just a week earlier you think like we're going to take this city by storm and now you feel like you are a twig in, a, in the wind. They're trying to reckon with the prospect of Jesus leaving them and they're feeling incredibly exposed and disoriented. And as they walk through this city, we're not exactly sure which route. I've seen a few different ones from like the assumed place of like the Last Supper to the Mount of Olives where they're going. It could have been any number of ways. Um, but you can't get from one side of the city to the outside of the other side of the city uh, without passing by the temple in some form or another. You're, you're going to be within sight of the temple at some point, the center of Jewish life, the center of God's activity. Now, um, historians like Josephus uh, tell us that one of the markers of the temple happens to be that over the entrance into uh, the temple, into God's presence, is a golden vine. And the, the, this idea of a vine is a, is a symbolic representation of the people of Israel. God refers to Israel as a vine several times throughout the Old Testament. Hosea 10, uh, Psalm 80, there are a couple of, Isaiah 5, I believe. There's a few other places. Now, the, the, the idea of a vine is, um, is that it's a conduit, right? Um, you, you plant a vine in the ground, and uh, the vine serves a purpose. It produces something that's a blessing to people that are near the vine. That's the idea. And, and with Israel being a vine, the idea was that they would be a conduit for God's presence to the world. They would be a place where God could be found, enjoyed, received with joy. Um, Israel was to be the, the way that God would make Himself known and experienced by the nations. That's the whole reason that they were set apart. It wasn't for Israel's benefit. It was for everybody else that might come into contact with Israel as the vine of God's goodness. And the, the fruit of that vine, what, what people were to have experienced when they come in contact with God's people are things like love and justice and healing and peace. These things flowing out from God to bless all people. Israel was to be a place of, of rich belonging and hope for all people. And of course, this, this is the mission that Jesus' disciples signed up for. This is one of the reasons they're following this would-be Messiah around everywhere is because Jesus would be Israel's new king. That's what they thought. 
And together, they would enact God's kingdom on earth. Together, they would bear fruit. Together, they would restore the vine. And so, like, you see how incongruent it is when Jesus goes, yeah, but I'm going to die. What do you mean you're going to die? Like, you can't die and have us do this thing. They're at odds with one another. Because not only would um, Jesus' death mean that He can't restore the vine of Israel to its rightful place in the world, but it, it would mean that each of them who've attached themselves to this King would also be cut off from the vine. They would be quickly identified as usurpers and zealots and outcasted from the temple and from the synagogue excluded both from the life that they knew with Jesus and the life of a first century Jew. Jesus' death means that they are incredibly vulnerable to whatever is coming next. All their eggs are in his basket. And what Jesus does is entirely unexpected and incredible. He promises these these people who are at their most vulnerable that He is in fact the source of God's presence on earth. He isn't restoring the vine. He is the vine. That's why He says, I'm not just the vine. I'm the true vine. I'm... I'm what Israel was pointing to. And you are the branches of this vine because you're connected to me. And death can't interrupt this. It can't take it away from you. It'll seem like it, but it won't. And yeah, things are going to look different. My connection to you, in a sense, is going to go underground. You won't be able to see it but it'll be even more true than as if I was physically in the room with you. John 14, he's just wrapped up talking about how he's going to send the Holy Spirit who's going to live in them and among them. He's going to be God's advocate and presence to them. He's not going to abandon them. And and so Jesus is saying because we're, we're still connected to each other, And we always will be if you live as though I'm just as real to you. If you continue to to depend on me and to look for me wherever you go and in everything that you do. You do that. And you'll bear fruit. This mission, this project that we've been on that you think is about to be taken away from you is actually just beginning you're going to have to engage in it in a, in a way that you're unfamiliar with. That doesn't mean that my presence is not with you and it does not mean that I, I will not bear fruit through you. You will be conduits of my love and my justice and my healing and my peace wherever you go. He's saying, yes, I'm, I'm leaving, but when I come to you, 
I won't just be in the same room with you. I'm going to share the very life of my Father with you. And you'll participate in the very life of God. It's going to be unfamiliar. You're going to have to learn how to draw your life from me in new ways. It's going to feel vulnerable. And, and, and you're going to feel unsure. You're never going to know if you're doing it right. But, you, but as you stumble forward together as a community, you're, you're going to find that you're connected to me in a deeper way than you were before. I, I don't know about you, but um, I tend to read my Bible very individualistically. And so I get to passages like this in John 15 when Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. And I immediately think to myself as if this were an individual experience. Okay, Jesus is the vine, I'm the branch. And you may be branches too, but I'm reading my Bible in my own time. And so like, how can I just be a branch, Jesus? Like, how do I remain in you? And I, you know, like we come up with all these individualistic ways uh, to be branches as though we're branches individually. They're all sort of like stuck into the vine, but never touching one another, you know? And so we conjure up these ways of like remaining in Jesus that are like, I need to study my Bible more, and I need to pray more, and I need to give more, and I need to, you know what I mean? Like it all becomes this performative, like all this list of things that I need to do in and of myself in order to maintain this connection because like maybe one day like Jesus will just go, you know, like pop the, my branch out of the vine if I don't perform well enough. I mean, we, like, it sounds funny to say that, but I think that's, that's humming along underneath the hood of a lot of our lives. Right? If I have a bad day, if I disconnect myself from the vine, like, what if I did it four days out of, out of seven this week? Like, is that enough for Jesus to say, okay, I'm done with you and throw me on the ground? This fear runs our lives. But, but I, I want to encourage you with this, that like the relationship that Jesus is talking about is not just an individual vine to an individual branch. Yes, there is only one true vine, but guess what? Um, the, there's more going on with the branches than we, than we, than we perceive. Um, our understanding is incomplete if we think about it individualistically. Because the, the, the union that Jesus is speaking of is not just for individuals to have an isolated experience of God. You want to know one clue as to why not? The word you is used at least 22 times in this 12-verse passage. You are the branches. Love one another. Like, you, 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 you. Like, you just go and skim through. It's, it, like, it's all over the place. All right, here's a quiz. Our English doesn't have a differentiation between a singular you and a plural you. When I say you, Matthew, singular, you understand, like, I'm talking to you. When I say um, you and I look around the room, everyone goes, oh, he's talking about the collective you. Okay, how many of the yous in, in John 15 are singular yous? 
zero. Goose egg, none. Every single one of them is plural. If we were in the South, we'd say y'all. Y'all are the branches. You hear? You know, like, <laughs> y'all is everywhere. There's no, there are no individual branches. Everything is, is collective. Every time Jesus speaks of you, He's talking about the, the collective of His disciples together. Which means that Jesus is present with us. But He's not just present inside me, inside my uh, individual heart, but He's present between me and you. And you and me and you and one another. He dwells in our relationships to one another, not just in our minds. And we encounter His presence not just as we operate in our own individual quiet times, but as we operate together as the body of Christ. Our branches are intertwined around the vine. So yeah, we, we need that taproot that goes down I'm not saying it's not there. But we also need to have an incredibly well-developed horizontal root system that spreads out and intertwines with one This forms the life that we have together with each other and with God. It's, they're inseparable from one another. And the reason that we need this reminder, this promise of good news, is because when we go through storms, when the anxiety and the grief and the, and the tendency towards isolation and the stress and the relational conflict and the vulnerability is at its worst or never seems to let up. Our temptation is like that of the disciples who prove in the next 12 hours that they um, have, <laughs> have not initially listened to Jesus' advice and they go entirely into, into self-preservation mode. They draw away, they hide, they deny. They get the heck out of there. They're driven by their fear of vulnerability. And that temptation is just as real for us. The temptation to look out for ourselves. The temptation to trust only ourselves and what we can perceive or what we understand. The temptation to hide and to recede into safe silos where no one disagrees with us and no one knows us well enough to see the reality of our lives. Because we think that maybe if nobody sees, then I'll be safe. I'll be safe in the darkness. But friends, we have good news, do we not? We have good news, good reason to come out into the light. Because to live this way is to deny that that has not been touched by the storms that we face. We are still to this day family connected under the ground to God and to each other. We are being held together invisibly, but this is the realest reality of the universe. Just like the live oaks in New Orleans. Beloved, we have not been abandoned in this season. Jesus is the true vine of God's presence who has joined us together into the life that He shares with the Father, which is a bond of love that holds everything, yes, even you together, and cannot be uprooted no matter what storms may come. So let's tend 
to this reality by rejecting the temptation of self-preservation and instead let's love one another as we've been loved. I, I've, um, so I've already said like remaining does not consist of our individual um, devotional life with God alone. Okay? I've said that. So what does it consist of? Um, this is the question I've been wrestling with all week. How do I bear fruit in this season when I feel like all my leaves have been ripped off? <laughs> you know? How do I not just survive, but thrive when I'm struggling with mental health and just keeping my head above water, struggling to do work and dealing with grief and anxiety? How do you do that? I think it's important to ask the right question if you want the right answer, right? Um, because if, if it's true that our root system is untouched by the storms, then the question is not, how do I get it back? So often, that, that tends to be the way that we think about our spiritual lives. We, we track back to a, a season or a moment in our lives when we felt connected when we felt loved, when we felt, like, rooted. And we go, how do I, like, what were, what were the steps that I took back then to get to that mountaintop? And how do I recreate those steps now to get where I was then? Do you ever do that? I think, I think that's the wrong question. Because it, it assumes a few things. One, it assumes that God works the same way every single time and in every single season. And I just don't see any evidence when I read my Bible or when I look at my life that that is actually true. <laughs> it's just, it's not my experience, experiential uh, um, understanding and it's not my biblical reading either. So that's one problem. The, the other problem with it is that... Um, is it, it, um, it assumes that something has gone away that I need to get back. It's assumed that something is, was true then um, fun, at a fundamental level, at an identity level that was true then that isn't true now. And I need to regain what I had then. Friend, that's, that's never the way bi the, the Bible talks about our lives together with God. It's never about going back. It's never about regaining what we don't have currently. You know what it is? It's always about how do I access or tend to what I already have because nothing, in fact, has been taken away. Nothing has been taken away. It's not as if Jesus is saying, I'm the vine and you used to have me and how do you get back that love and feeling? So I am the vine today. The root system is in place today. How do you, how do you um, regain the imagination, the vision for being able to perceive what is imperceivable to you because it's underneath the surface? How do you draw from what you've already had? And the answer that Jesus gives, it, it, it sort of seems complicated because he goes into all this like, you know, my father and me and my commands and if you love me and, and, and you know, like 
you're like going through it all, and you're like, what is going on here? And it, it, it feels like he's jumping back and forth, and then all of a sudden you get to the, to the very end, and it says, my command is this, and like the clouds part, and the sun shines through, and Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you. How do we remain in the vine? How do we tend to what we already have? How do we keep from shriveling up to the point where we're no longer connected to the source of life? We love one another. That's it. That's how you bear fruit. There's no no 12-step program. There's no three uh, bullet points to a better life with Jesus. Like, he boils it down to one thing and one thing only. We love one another. To remain, to remain, just this word remain, it means to, to make your home in something as though it were the place where you live, right? Like I have the deed to our house, um, but I can choose whether or not I live there, right? Um, I own the place, but I can drive by it and go, yeah, I don't know if I actually live there or not. The key's sitting in my pocket. I could just like choose to walk through the door and live there. But I don't have to choose that. Do you see what I'm saying? To, to dwell, uh, to, to, to remain is the verb form of to dwell somewhere. It means to make your home in something. To, to, to dwell in something means to, to live as though that reality is true. Even when we feel like it, even when it feels like it's not. And we we dwell in the reality that Jesus is ever-present to us and with us by loving one another. Jesus is saying, this is how you participate in my life. This is how you bear fruit. This is how you stay connected to me. You love each other. Now, what does love live like? How does it take on flesh? Well, for that, you have to look at Jesus, right? Right? Jesus is giving this command to love each other and he is, this is why I included it, he's just come from this supper where he's done what for his disciples? What did he do for them there? Describe it. Can you think of anything that happened at the Last Supper? What's that? Yeah, he... he, the symbolism of his body and his blood through the bread and the wine. And he washed their feet. He washed them. He, he, he took on the lowest position and he embodied love toward them. He demonstrated his love. He, he enacted it to him. He didn't just talk about it with words. He lived it with his physical body. And it's going to be And it is the same for us. The way that we love one another isn't just by having a good feeling towards someone. Choosing embodied love is uh, living out your connection to someone else. It is giving of your time, of your attention to another. And doing this is, it's, it's at the same time two things. It's it's banking, every time we choose to love someone else, we, we bank on the reality that Jesus is present and at work, 
And we also at the same time strengthen our root system to the vine as well as to the branches. And so we, we respond to this good news by loving one another in the ways that God presents to us. And here's the good news. The bar is really low. Like, it, it may not be an extravagant, like, over-the-top um, thing that you're called to do for another human being. Maybe it's just a phone call. Maybe it's just an afternoon together. Maybe it's taking someone's kids for the day. Maybe it's encouraging someone. Maybe it's stopping and praying for someone or with someone. It's sharing your life with someone in some way. That's, that's staying connected to the vine because it's staying connected to the branches. Because the two go together. Um, we're going to pray in a moment for God to maybe stir our imagination for what this could look like for each of us. But I want to encourage you um, with one question. like, What is just one way that you could love someone before you leave this building? Can I just say this? Because like, I know so many of us are tired. And the thought of like just doing one more thing is like, oh, can I, like how? <laughs> Loving someone today for you may, may look like sharing your experience with someone else. It may be as simple as that. Because it's, it's the loving thing to do to allow me to love you. It's the loving thing to do to allow you to love others. Love opens itself up to the possibility of being loved. Maybe you're not required to do a darn thing this morning. Maybe you're just required to say to someone else, who's part of this branch system all connected to the vine, I've had a really crappy week. And I just need someone to share it with. That's okay, too. That's okay, too. Family, the reality is that we are the church. And in these stormy days, when we feel like we're at our most vulnerable, <clears throat> we have not been abandoned. Jesus is the vine of God's presence who has joined us together into the life that he shares with the Father, a bond of love that holds everything together and cannot be uprooted. Church, let's tend to this reality, this present truth by rejecting the temptation of self-preservation and instead loving one another as we've been loved. Let's pray. Father, um, <clears throat> we may be in a place this morning where we don't perceive our connectedness either to each other or to you. Um, that may cause us fear or shame.
And I, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would wash those um, temptations to turn towards the darkness away and call us into the light. I pray that you've been doing that already. Lord, in our vulnerability, our exhaustion, our confusion, um, Lord, would you, in a sense, um, pull the ground away, even if just for a moment, and give us a picture of our connectedness to you and to one another. God, I, I thank you that you've um, invited us to uh, tend to that root system, that we are um, all in a, in a position to be able to um, strengthen it, but that we don't, we don't do that work in and of our own strength. We don't do that to impress you, to, to gain our place in this community, we do that um, out of what you've done for us. We love as we've been loved. So would you, would you increase our capacity to understand what that might look like today, this week? Give us, by your spirit, because you're with us, uh, tangible opportunities to live into this reality. Um, even if we don't get the whole picture, just crack the door open a little so that we might develop the boldness to step through. We pray and, and expect that you will get the glory for whatever fruit comes as a result. In Jesus' name.